Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. At once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what happened to him. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a story to tell you. On Tuesday night, I was in Lisbon, Portugal, and had the privilege of speaking into an all-leaders-type meeting in the church plant there. You would love the church, and very similar to us, um, except very international. And um, I um, was told by Jeff, who leads the church, this incredible story, and it bears on the story that uh, Gabby brought us. As the Ukrainian war started, one Ukrainian girl got out, came to Lisbon, and uh, got herself situated in the community. A beautiful moment, lots of prayers, lots of love for her. Word got out that some of her family and friends were trying to get out, so they said, bring them all, listen up, listen up, bring them all. Whoever comes, we will take care of them. We will house them. We will get them jobs. A beautiful story, a young community that was started. Literally, I think Jeff and Jane arrived in Lisbon and about three days later, COVID hit and lockdown. So they were in a country that was incredibly foreign to them and they've built this beautiful, beautiful community. They don't call it table communities. They call it dinner parties. So they have about three or four dinner parties every week. I mean, nights. Anyway, back to the story. A Russian, young Russian couple arrive in Lisbon. The animosity between the Ukrainians and the Russians is something we don't understand, I don't think. The young girl who had joined the community, probably a young lady, uh, her town where she grew up in was absolutely leveled by the Russians. There's nothing left there. So think of your town where you were born, where you grew up. Imagine that being absolutely flattened by an enemy. I guess parents may have died, family members may have died. An incredible amount of anger, resentment and bitterness grew up. So this young Russian couple came to the church heard about the table, the uh, dinner party, and arrived, walked in, and they instantly realized that there were some Ukrainians there. Asked the host to just speak to them outside, which they did, and said, look, we don't think we are welcome here. Why, said the host, well, we're Russian, they're Ukrainians, they would not want us here. Oh, absolutely not, said the host. I will go and speak to them. And I'm telling you, they will accept you. Not. The young Ukrainian lady, 20-something, normally demure, quiet, ran outside to them, forgive the crassness, F-bombed them, 
and told them to stay the F away from the church, to stay the F away from all of them. She went ballistic. as did the other Ukrainians. Obviously, the Russian couple, who were just Russians, like you're Americans, were not only devastated, but felt prayerfully that God wanted them to stay in the community and rough ride the persecution and the anger and the resentment, which they did. They had to overcome being F-bombed endlessly. Until one day, this couple, the wife of whom had been very expressive in her anger at the Russian couple, sat down, at least in a time of worship, and they met God together, the four of them. I preached, they were in the second row sitting together. All four of them. In fact, the previous night, the Ukrainian couple had gone out for a date and the Russian couple had babysat their kids. Now, my point is this, dear friends. In the light of us wrestling through the early church and in the light of us wanting to be gritty and authentic and real and true, it is imperative for us to face the anger, resentment and bitterness of our own hearts. Because I don't think the Ukrainians would have ever been liberated and set free had that young couple been so offended, F you, I'm also out of here. But they chose under the spirit of grace and mercy to say, you know what? We're gonna ride this out. We're gonna cope with your resentment, anger, bitterness, your outbursts at us. We're gonna ride that out for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom because we believe this is the community God wants to join us to. And as, I, as Jeff told me this story over breakfast, I just thought how incredibly courageous of them to stay knowing they weren't wanted. Knowing that they were hated for no reason other than the land of their birth and a tyrant president. It's an incredible story that for us can be a moment of great hunger for two reasons. One, when the move of the Spirit happens, as Gabby said there. There's been an incredible move of the Spirit. I had breakfast with a Kurdish pastor who was a Muslim who was trying to run away from Syria. He got caught in Cyprus. They brought him back to Syria. They put him in solitary confinement. They beat the snot out of him. He was in a cell where he couldn't lie down. He literally, his knees touched the the one wall and his back the other. Day in and day out. Day in. And day out, he heard the other prisoners being beaten. And one day, Jesus appeared to him in person. A Kurd who had no frame of reference for Jesus, no story of Jesus, and Jesus appeared to him. And now he preaches the gospel. The very nation he ran away from because of Jesus, he now runs back to. This gospel, dear friends, is a remarkable gospel. It's the complete anti Response. Whatever you think you should do, probably the answer is the other. And I have a Russian couple who had every reason to say, Jeff, love you and Jane, but we are out of here. We cannot cope with the abuse and become a hinge in reconciliation. Or a Kurdish man who encounters Jesus and now runs back into Syria to preach the gospel. If he gets caught, he will be executed. What a great story. What a great opportunity for us to scrutinize our lives afresh and to say, you know what? I'm not going to be as easily offended. 
I'm not going to be thrown off course by someone glaring at me, someone not greeting me, someone not being kind to me, someone not returning my phone call or my TikTok or Instagram DM. No, I'm going to be a little more gutsy. I'm going to be a little more steadfast and secure, and I'm going to ride that out for the sake of the kingdom. This passage is an incredible passage, but I want to take just a half a step back quickly and remind us Three weeks ago when I preached on uh, chapter one, chapter two, remember we spoke about the Holy Spirit and how He comes. And we found in that passage that like a mighty wind, and we said the Holy Spirit comes to fill all the corners of our heart. One of the beautiful things about the Holy Spirit, given those two stories I've just told, is He blows into the areas of our lives that we keep under lock and key. We all have them. We all have that moment, that experience, that leaning, that lust, that area of sin that we just keep under lock and key. We put a sign up and say, you ain't coming in here. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He will fill every corner. Or the fire, where He burns the dross. In other words, He burns up everything that is burnable in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Or the wine, the great perfume, fragrance. Remember, they, they seem to be drunk. They seem to be. The, 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 the people down below looked at them and said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Great story from the Lisbon church. Where they meet, they've got an incredible coffee bar and shared workspace. And they are just literally out the door. I mean, it's incredible, peeps. The actual meetings, everything in Lisbon is small. And so here is the small little room with stairs going up into the shared workspace with and, and on Sundays, there are literally people who stand like this on the stairs. They can't see anything, but they are there to worship Jesus. That's what they have to face. And the fragrance and the forgiveness and the beauty and wonder of the wine is so compelling, they come back again and again. Jeff told us, he pointed outside the building. He said, you see that apartment over there? I said, yeah. He said, every Tuesday, Thursday, whatever night it was, he said, they used to have orgies there. I said, well, he said, they literally hang out the windows. The lights were going. They were drinking naked. But one day they came down. What are you guys doing down there? Well, we're just a Jesus-loving community. Can we come? Can, can anyone come? Yeah, I guess. But, but it's probably not for you. See, he made it really hard. It's probably not for you. You, you. you wouldn't like it. No, but can I come? Well, I'm not sure it's something you'd really enjoy. They came, they got saved, they stopped their orgies. The power of the gospel is supreme. Just give the Holy Spirit time. The water, the the flow from the throne, the, the life flow of God and the oil, which is the anointing. Forgive the technicalities for just a moment, but I want you to open up your hearts. The story we're going to read today is based, if you wish, on the wine of God coming upon a man, the life of God, the fragrance of God, the forgiveness of God coming upon a man. But in order to have that, we know that new wine needs new wineskins. I was going to do a whole kind of technical exegesis of that, but that would be boring, so let's not do it. <coughs> we'll do it another time. I feel like God wants us to get to the story. Let's have a look at the story. One day, one day, 
This was a one-day moment. This was not a Pentecost moment. This wasn't a high-action intensity moment. This was a one-day moment. Can you guys go to that slide, please? <coughs> please get me some water. Ty, thanks. This is a one-day... Oh, thanks, Maddie. You appear in the most incredible places. It's like... David, is she like this at home? No? You just think something and she's there with it. All the time, absolutely. You're getting some points there, brother. All right, so what is the story about? Do you see the story is about being seen by God? That's the essence of it. It's does God see me and the answer is yes. Well, when we open up the passage, this wasn't a special day. This wasn't an extraordinary moment like Pentecost. This was just a one day moment. And my dear friends, many of you who have come from certain movements live on a kind of a spiritual narcotic. You're always wanting a high. So you run to this worship event, go to that prayer meeting, go to that conference. Then you go up north to a particular church up there. You are chasing the narcotic of your spirit because you can't cope with the fact that sometimes you just have a one day moment. It's just like every other day. It's not special. It's not amazing. It's just a one day moment. And true spiritual maturity is how to sustain our faith when it's full of one days. Remember Pink Floyd, 1980. 1980, another brick in the wall. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry, I'm dating myself. But it's just another brick in the wall moment. That's all it is. Another brick in the wall. It's just an ordinary day where I do ordinary things and I'm disciplined in my spiritual journey. But I think in this one day, dear friends, is a sense of always being ready, always being available, always anticipating, God, would you do something with me today? Who, who can I meet today that needs to be loved? Who do I need to bring the love of Christ so when they look into my eyes, they say beauty and wonder and empathy and compassion? Who is that person, I say, day after day? Well, wherever. They were on their way to the temple. Have you ever wondered how often Jesus passed this guy? We know Jesus came through that gate often. Have you ever wondered what it was like? Because it wasn't his moment. The beggar, anyone got any money? Anyone got any money? He'd been lame from poor. He had uh, Luke describes his injury and in length. And they carried him there every day. So every day he was there. So at some point in time, one commentator says, Jesus walked past him and didn't heal him then. Quite an interesting thought, isn't it? Is it okay if we sometimes have to wait for our one day? That we say, Jesus, where are you? I've prayed, I've prayed, I shouted at you like the preacher said I should. I quiet, I touched you, but still nothing in particular is happening. But what they did is they went to the temple. And the interesting thing about the temple is that the lame weren't allowed in. Can you imagine one Sunday we had people sitting in the driveway? Imagine if that was your every Sunday. You couldn't come in. There was no TV screen to check out. You had to stand outside, or in his case, lie outside, without any sense of access. The lame, the disfigured, the blind could not go in. Remember Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, who came all the way six months' journey from Ethiopia to stand on the outside because he was so hungry to encounter God. 
but he wasn't allowed in. And so Peter, Peter and John go to pray. You know when they went to pray? Anyone tell me? It's not a trick question. Three o'clock in the afternoon. What happened at three o'clock in the afternoon? Anyone? There it is. We call it a siesta. They call it a schlafstunde. Well, they got it from Germany. I quote one of the commentators, Life is a fatiguing phase of existence. The days are long. The nights are short. We all, want, all we want to do is sleep, preferably in the afternoon. Call it a siesta. This marvelously civilized rite was once practiced in Israel too. Shops were closed from two to four, and whoever made a noise during those sacred hours was immediately banished to Cyprus. This was a rabbi's writings I'm quoting from. So at a time when everyone siestered, the disciples went to pray. Prayer is costly. The spiritual disciplines are costly. It's when everyone else is chilling, you and I are on our knees. You and I are in our books. You and I are crying out to God. You and I are worshiping. But the consequence of those little obediences we see in this great story, are you prepared to be offended when God demands your siesta be surrendered for a higher good? But then the new wine flows. Look at us, they say. Why? Well, there was no narcissism about that moment, dear friends. It was the eyes of Jesus. Compassion, empathy, love, and mercy. You know, during the worship, and I really enjoyed it, Ty. But during the worship, I was just, don't know why, the picture of Jesus in Jerusalem came to mind. Remember when he stood outside Jerusalem? It's a beautiful city. And he looked at Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I sought to gather you to myself, but you would not. And then he said, you missed your day of um, visitation. And it said he wept. He looked at the city he came to save and he wept. Peter said, look at me. Look at me. Those eyes, eyes of compassion, empathy, love, and mercy. Look at those eyes. That's the mirror that reflects Jesus. What I have or what I do have is the presence and power of Jesus that is of greater value. Do you know how important you are to Jesus? I mean, really. No, not only theologically. Yeah, yeah, Chris, I got that. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten. No, I'm talking about you and your story and your wrestles and your struggles and your hurts and your anxieties and your pain and your disturbances and your vulnerabilities. Do you know how important you are to Jesus who knows you by name? And that means by story. So I know someone by name, it means I know their story. And when they looked into the eyes of these disciples, my guess is they saw the eyes of compassion and empathy. What I have, well, what I do have is the power of Jesus. And I love the fact that he says, the only time in the book of Acts, at least that I could find, Jesus of Nazareth. He's saying it to a Jew, to a despised city. I don't know what the equivalent is in America, but somehow he's saying Jesus of something. He doesn't say Jesus the Almighty, one King of kings or Lord of lords. He says, I want to introduce you to Jesus, God, 
came to dwell amongst us. I wonder what that man thought. I wonder what he thought. He thought, come on, dude. Give me some shekels. Isn't that amazing too? Sorry, I just looked at my notes. What happens when you, we walk past a beggar? Do you look at them? When they, when they come to the car, I'm normally very busy. I've got to change the station on my radio or get something out of the glove compartment. You know what I mean? We, we don't look at them. We don't want to see them. We don't want them to see us. But how incredible that he's seen. I see you. Jesus sees you. What would it take for you to be convinced that Jesus sees you? Is it tonight? Is it when we come to the table? Is it if you were called out like the beggar was? If you identified, what would it take to realize that God knows you and knows your story? It's in that moment when he looked into the eyes of a human being and he saw Jesus, that the beggar rose in faith. Now the story is absolutely exquisite because Peter leans forward and lifts him. And Luke, the doctor, describes in details how the ankles got stronger and the legs developed and, and how, and I remember Terry Virgo tells a story, a conference they did many years ago in England. And he said, during the worship, Terry's a dear friend of mine, much older, but he said, during the worship, Chris, a man climbed up onto the stage and he had a withered hand like this. And he said, the worship went and the guys looked at me, should we do something? And he said, well, let's just leave it. And then he started flapping like this. And this is a cringe moment. This is super scary. This is super weird. Do we leave a guy, hundreds of leaders in the room and there's a guy with his limp arm just standing doing this. And Terry, being a man of great grace, said, leave him. Would you be okay if a man did that or a woman did that tonight? I said, geez, I'm not coming back to this place. This is weird, man. But the longer he stood up there, the greater the arc of the arm became and the fuller the swing became until eventually he was swinging his arm fully and lifting his hand up. And when they looked, the arm was fully and completely healed. Jesus saw him. And Jesus healed him. How often, dear friends, in our own brokenness do we feel like we have to come to Jesus whole. But oh, what a privilege it is if we come to him with a withered soul, a broken heart, a life full of destitution and broken relationships. What a joy that I can come to him just like that. That for me is the power of the table. Don't you love the fact instantly he walks, he jumps or leaps, and he praises God. Where does he do that? The very place he couldn't do it before. He starts running, he starts jumping, 
and he starts praising God in the temple where he wasn't allowed before. Now I ask you again with simple honesty, would you be okay if someone came running in here, round the table, jumping out over there, screeching, hallelujah! Like, oh, it's Pentecostals, obviously. <laughs> know where they went to school. Or, <laughs> we had to have someone from the South say that. It's an extraordinary picture. When I think of it, and I'm going to finish early tonight. When I think of it, I think what I would have felt like as a dad. Imagine if I had a kid that was crippled from birth. And even if there was the slightest hope of them being healed or, you know, and bringing them to the temple every day, every day, every day, seven days a week, picking them up. They're not a kid now, not a little girl, a little boy, an adult man, bring them and lay them down there. They made some decent money as beggars, I'm told in my reading. But I wonder as a parent, thinking every day when they were kids, well, maybe someone will pray for them and they will get healed and it doesn't happen. And a day becomes a year and a year becomes a decade and a decade becomes adulthood. But one day, God saw him. One day, God reached out through the hands of Peter and God beckoned him. So I want you to run for me. See, ladies and gentlemen, that's new wine, new wine skin. While we control the narrative of our lives, while we hold our emotions in the palm of our hands, governing what we'll allow or not allow, there will be a limitation to what God will do with you. Can I tell you about Alison? I preached last two Sunday nights ago in London. I told the Florence Nightingale story. You remember it? disproportionately there was a response afterwards. I, I don't think I preached particularly well. I was jet lagged. And, but anyway, I mean, about two thirds of the people came forward. And Alison was over there. Because you see, Alison moved to England as a man. And she went through a full transition. Not identify as, a full transition. She limped into that church Wondering if, and it wasn't that night she came in, wondering if she could ever be accepted anywhere. And rather than finding the, the eyes of judgment, she found those eyes. Look at us, Alison, look. We see you. And someone was prepared to sit with her. Where most places she goes, where people know would out of awkwardness ignore her. And week in and week out, someone would sit with her, someone would have her over for a meal. She would get integrated into their ministry. And that night I preached on the Florence Nightingale story and how her story shaped the kingdom. And she came forward and stood there saying, Jesus, could you use someone like me? Very, very tender moment her comment to the leaders were I've never been loved like I'm loved here do we know what to do with Alison absolutely not but yes we do 
Because if Jesus could look at one who was rejected by the temple, a lame man, then he could look at a eunuch who was rejected by the temple and sent Philip the evangelist to him on a dusty road in the middle of the desert as he with great tenderness left to go home to Ethiopia. If Jesus could look at an Allison and love her, get up, Allison. Get up. The call of God is on you. The hand of God is on you. That is new wine and new wineskin. That is when you leave there walking and leaping and praising God. That is when you see a woman as she is now who has found such freedom in Jesus in a moment of worship as the Florence Jolly Nightingale story was told that she could stand up and say, Jesus, could you use someone just like me? That's the gospel at work. That's the good news. And that's the message of this moment. He ran back into the temple, the place that rejected him, and he went crazy. Walking and leaping and praising God. Would you pray with me, please?